Welcome back to the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. I am so excited because Jean's here from Stillwater's Mind and Body. She has such incredible things to say about mindfulness in the outdoor classroom. And I often wonder with everything going on in the world, how can we as educators and parents do a better job providing the resources that our children need to thrive? So when I talk to someone like Jean, I am reminded how much we can do as facilitators, as educators, as parents. So it restores my faith that we can bring mindfulness into our outdoor classrooms. I'm so happy to have this as a platform so this content can help you and in turn our children. So meanwhile, head on over to my Instagram page because I'm trying to create a space there that's purely positive. I believe that our community is absolutely amazing. So I also want to let you know that you are also amazing. It's the ripple effects. Once we do something that's incredible in our outdoor classrooms that then in turns affects our children that in turns affects their families so really incorporating the mindfulness into the foundation of creating our outdoor spaces is key so I want you to meet Jean she is the founder of Stillwater's Mind and Body which was founded in 2016 she shared her experience in businesses educational and wellness sectors as well as her own formal mindfulness yoga and functional nutrition practices. She's worked with children, parents, educators, and other professionals. Jean is committed to explaining the science, the history, and the practical aspects of mindfulness, yoga, and nutrition with her students and clients so that they might reap the benefits of greater clarity, improved communication, heightened awareness, creativity, openness, compassion, and reduced stress. Also, thinking about how to reduce anxiety and have a healthy physical presence throughout daily lives of anybody that she works with. So I want to welcome her. I'm so excited to have this conversation about how we can bring in mindfulness to our outdoor classrooms. So welcome. Let's get started. Hello, hello, everybody. We are here with Jeans, and she is from Stillwater. Jean is an expert on mindfulness, and I thought this would be a really good chance for all of us to take a breath and really learn how we can incorporate mindfulness into all of our gardens and outdoor classrooms. So welcome, Jean. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm going to have you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and where you're coming from. Yeah, thank you so much. First and foremost, um, Jean Scona. I live in Marblehead, Massachusetts. I'm the mom of three kids, 2017 and just about 14 year old. And I have, man, before I came to working in gardens, school gardens and mindfulness, I was actually in the business sector and pretty unhappy and uh, took a breather when I started having children. And really started to follow my passions of gardening and being in nature and food, growing my own food, uh, healing some illnesses with food and finding mindfulness through my long yoga practice that I had for 10, 20 years to help me with some of my own personal struggles, social anxiety and procrastination and constant ruminating thoughts. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening can nod their head and say, yeah, yeah, I, I've experienced that too. So anyway, that's where Stillwater's came from these passions and experiences that I've been living and learning through for many, many years. 
Beautiful. So your story really, uh, I think, will resonate with a lot of folks that are listening. Again, it's not necessarily a uh, specific outdoor classroom, but you've had some experience setting up an outdoor classroom. Yeah, yeah. So at the time when I started working on this project to develop an outdoor classroom, my oldest son was in a private school in Marblehead, but I knew that we were going to be moving him out. And so we put our second child, our daughter, Ella, in the Marblehead Public School. Um, as I didn't want to start her, you know, in a private school and then move her. And, you know, anyone that's experienced independent schools and public schools knows it's not apples to apples and just a very uh, creative, enriching, robust curriculum that an independent school has the ability to create and a lot of experiential learning. And so it was during uh, Ella's first couple of years in the public school in Marblehead that I was really noticing you know, she wasn't outside half as much as my son Nils was, and she wasn't experiencing project-based learning as much as he was. And so I thought, well, that's just unfortunate. Like you shouldn't have to be able to afford a private education to experience just educational opportunities that all students, no matter what your profile looks like, benefit from. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money either. So I reached out to a first grade teacher at the public school who happened to be one of the few teachers that had her kids outside as much as possible, mm. even in brush areas, yeah. you know, like it didn't matter. She had the kids outside and was incorporating all parts of her curriculum. And so I went to her and I said, I, I really would love to research how we could build out a big outdoor classroom and garden space in at, at this school. And she was definitely interested. And so we put it out to the parents and to the principal. And then a new parent came, spoke up and she said, listen, I work a ton, but I'm a landscape design architect oh. and this is exactly where I can help. So with another parent, with a teacher, we started researching school gardens all over uh, New England. I mean, we road trip to the vineyard to see the Island Grown Schools program. And, and so we researched and then we went to the principal with a proposal and then went to the school committee and then raised $30,000 and on and on and on and built out this overgrown back area of the school that no one knew about. And then it came to the, then it came to the point where we were like, okay, we're, we're this is happening. We are going to have this incredible space. Who's going to lead it? Who's going to teach? And this was one thing that we really learned uh, from the successful school gardens in New England is the only way to be sustainable is that you've got to have a coordinator, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's stipend or on salary, but volunteers really hard because volunteers come and go. And so the school PTO said, Gene, you know, if you want to run this, <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay. Hey, I mean, I don't have a, I don't have a degree in education, although I've always, always, always loved working with kids. Like my whole life, my job, you know, my first job was taking care of newborn twins and then being a nanny for four girls. And like, I've always loved working with kids. So it's kind of funny. I went into business and then realized that I couldn't stand it. So I was yeah. so excited to be working with kids and the Island Grown Schools had such a great curriculum in place with the Massachusetts standards that that was kind of my, the foundation of like, I, I could go and look at their lessons and then just add my own creativity and, and work with the teachers and say, okay, I've got this, this framework, these frameworks, but what are you doing in the classroom right now? And how could I integrate it? Mm. So that's how, you know, the pro, the, 
the it grew. And in the beginning, we only had four out of 16 teachers that wanted to participate. You know, it was it was not mandatory. And by the fourth year, we had all 16. Wow. Um, participating and kind of like, well, how can I get another lesson? How can I get another lesson? You know? Yeah. So we just kept growing the program year after year. And the PTO was funding a stipend for me and adding hours. And, you know, I'm really pleased to say that, well, during that time, do you want me to get into how I integrated mindfulness? Is that okay now? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. The next question. What is mindfulness? And then what is, okay. Yeah. So (laughs) mindfulness, mindfulness is, there's a lot of different definitions with little nuances, but it's pretty much all the same. Yeah. Mindfulness is about bringing your attention to the present moment experience, whatever that is in the present moment, and just being open and curious to what comes up and what that experience is. And then the other piece of mindfulness that I think is so valuable is to do this, you know, to be open and curious about the experience of what is is happening in the present moment and to do it with kindness and compassion for ourselves. Hmm. So with that, I had started a formal mindfulness meditation practice the end of 2015 for myself, as I had said in the introduction. But yet when I was in the garden, well, one, you know, I just connect with nature. That's my, that's my happy place. That's my calm, safe space. So then I'm out in the garden with these kids, pre-K to third grade, and, and I'm, I'm learning and experiencing what many children are going through. You know, every learner is different. There's behavioral things going on for some, and there's, there's learning um, challenges for others. And I thought, you know, this would just be such a perfect venue to integrate mindfulness into the classes. And so I went to our principal who was really supportive and open-minded. And I said, I'm doing this training. I'm doing it for myself, but I'm also starting a class through mindful schools in California. And I I really feel like it's just a natural uh, space and opportunity to open and close each class with mindfulness. Would you be open to it? And thankfully she said yes. And then every single teacher, you know, we had a couple of teachers in the school that were also going through mindful schools. So they were aware of it, but for the most part, it was new, but everybody just opened their arms Mm. to integrating mindfulness into the time in the garden and in nature. And that's really how it took off. So then you started creating intentions. Yeah. So I have a lot of people say, oh, are you you just writing your own curriculum? And I'm I'm not usually someone that writes anything from scratch, even my recipes in the kitchen. Like <laughs> I usually always am looking. Like that's just kind of how I am. You know, I, I look at at lessons or recipes and then I get creative or I think of the students or the teacher in mind. So really um, I've used mindful schools, which has a tried and true incredible curriculum, mm-hmm. um, pre-K pre-KK through 12th grade. Mm. And so I've always kind of used their guidelines as a foundation. And then from there, I tend to get a little bit more creative in that I want all my lessons to have relevance for the students and whatever their age, whatever age group I'm dealing with, because I want I want to be able to lure them in. I want them to be curious and interested in what I'm saying. And, you know, mindfulness, if, if approached and taught incorrectly, you know, you could turn off 
a lot of mm-hmm. kids and teachers mm-hmm. and, and human beings. So I always try to find relevance. Relevance. I try to be creative. I've had a lesson that used um, superheroes and power troopers because wow. a teacher came to me and was like, we're having a lot of problems on the playground with um, self-regulation and our bodies. Can you come up with a mindfulness lesson? So that's what I mean by like creativity and, and relevance. I also, when I'm writing the lessons, I'm not just writing them for the students, but I'm writing them for the educators mm. because I am not going to always be with them. And although there is evidence that mindfulness being taught even once a week for six plus weeks, week after week, that that there are benefits and that it does stick. Obviously the biggest takeaway is if what I can do in that one 20 minute lesson on a Monday, the educator feels comfortable with any part of my lesson that they say to themselves, Oh, okay. I, I can do the roller coaster breath. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I can do that. Or, you know, I can do snake breath. So that's another one of my intentions when I'm creating the curriculum is that, yes, I'm trying to lure the students in. I'm, I'm trying to engage them to participate and to try with openness and curiosity. But I'm also hoping that that comes for the educator as well. Mm. And that they also can participate and possibly feel the benefits of it. You know, twofold for the educator. It's like, yes, I want them to participate in what their students are, are being taught and in the activity and the exercises, but I also want them to possibly feel like they can go and do it on their own. Mm, Brilliant. Brilliant. Just in terms of you work with a lot of different ages, you're not necessarily just working with preschools. You're really doing the whole gamut. I'm sort of starting with preschoolers. Like Mm -hmm. what might be some of the mindfulness exercises you teach? You mentioned the hand and you mentioned a snake props that you might use. How do you get the language that you use when you're working with preschoolers? A lot of the community that are watching this do work with preschoolers, but we also have folks that are working with older kids. Okay. All right. Well, I started working mostly with preschoolers and then expanded to third grade. And it's really been only in the last, I would say, three years that I went up through eighth grade. And then this year I added high school. Wow. So yeah, the high school, that's a whole nother, um, <laughs> that's a whole nother animal. Um, but yeah, so with the preschoolers, I'll, I'll actually start with that, the last bullet first, the language. You know, when I started teaching, I had a mentor that said, don't feel like you can't use the word mindfulness or other big words with Mm. these little people because they are so open minded, right? Like, I mean, most of them have a growth mindset. They're open and they're curious and they're not opposed to learning big words. In fact, a lot of them think it's cool and they want to go home and teach mom or dad. So I never stray away from saying, you know, we're having a mindfulness lesson now and, and breaking it down though. You know, what does that mean? Uh, Using other words like awareness, what does it mean to be aware and curious? And it's really surprising. You know, they, they are like little sponges Mm. they have no problem. So I don't, I don't shift a lot of my language for like younger talk if you know what I mean, since you work with, with the kids too. So props and exercises, again, this kind of ties in with relevance, but I am looking at when I, when I break out my lessons, I'm looking at how can my lessons expose them uh, to being aware Mm. and what does that feel like and, and noticing it. 
So with that, you know, we will use our senses. We'll do sensory activities. And all of these, I always prefer to be outside, but unfortunately that doesn't always happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, so if it's in the garden with our senses, it might be just putting it, it might not even be about planting. You know, it might just be about putting our hands in the soil, closing yeah. our eyes and feeling it. It might be getting leaf, picking a leaf from anything in the garden, letting the kids just explore and finding a leaf or something else in the garden that resonates with them so that we can then have a mindfulness practice using our eyes mm. where we're just looking at that, like really closely. And what do you notice? Oh, the longer I look, Mrs. Scona, I now see there's these little lines that are like veins. I like doing a lot of lessons with the senses, but then I also like movement. And I, I believe in the value of moving our body. And especially for so many of our students that are sitting too much or sedentary and inside or outside, we'll do different movement practices with our body, always pausing to notice, like, what do you feel? What's a, you know, body sensation, big words, right? But yeah. the kids understand like, oh, butterflies in my stomach. Oh, that's a body sensation. That's what I'm noticing right now. And even tying that to emotions. Well, what, what's an emotion? You know, we talk about that, like right. feelings that we have. Yeah. I mean, so movement, um, other props. Well, we use a lot of music. Mm. We'll do we'll do movement with music, either whether it's with instruments, kind of like a freeze, a freeze game. Um, or like red light, green light game, if you think of that, but doing it with instruments or playing uh, different songs, mm -hmm. we'll do um, like different movement with shaking because there's a lot that's um, that we know now about the evidence of shaking our body with calming a vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. um, and then like integrating other games. I have lots of games that use stuffed animals that use special like magic sunglasses that have no lenses in them, but they're big and colorful. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, yeah. like we have, we have superpowers now. Like what can we see that we couldn't see? We're in the space all the time. Yeah. So I could go on. I mean, I, if yeah. you want me to, but so much. <laughs> yeah. There's so much. And I know we'll talk about books because yes, uh, I yes, could go yes, on yes. about the so literature. Have, we'll get to that. We have books are next. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> one of the things I teach is to find the children's book that inspires yeah. and that to start there. So I love okay. that you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just personally, I love, I love books Yeah, and I'm really passionate about reading and I, I really enjoy children's literature and young adult literature. So a lot of times I, I will create a lesson around a book that I just happen to have read that I think is fantastic. So, you know, like you, the two that you have up there, um, you know, the bad seed. Yes, it's about a sunflower seed. Yes, we tie it to planting our own sunflowers at the end. But the, the lesson, the book is really about this seed that's not bad. He just had some really tough life experiences <laughs> and needed to recall and remember that life was great at a time when he was in the blossom of the sunflower. Yeah. And I think I had shared with you when we spoke this little three and a half year old that nailed it. I have to share it because after I closed the book and reading it to her pre-K classroom, her hand went right up. She, I didn't even ask for observations and, and she, her name was Penny. And she said, when I get, when I get hungry, I get really angry 
and I can't control myself. Yeah. And which is what self awareness for a three and a half year old. And she said, I'm not a bad seed. No. I just, I, it, those are just really tough moments for me. And, you know, we all, all the kids are like, yeah, you know, all these three and a half, four year olds are like, yeah, that happens to me too. And so then we talk about, okay, well, what can we do when we notice? So that's being mindful. You know, I'm like, Penny, you're being mindful right now. You're, you're sharing an experience that when you start to feel hungry, you know that you're going to get angry. So at that moment, that's when you can stop Yeah, and you can, you know, what could you do? And it's like, well, I could ask my mom for a snack or I could tell my teacher that I'm not feeling good because I'm hungry, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that's in that example, how mindfulness came up. But, you know, I did pull a couple other books to show you if that's okay. Um, Can you see this one? 10 ways to hear snow. Yes. So this one I read and I love snow and I love winter and this right away, because it was in the winter when I read it, I just changed my lesson for the next week with some lower school kids. And we went outside and we walked in the snow. And first we just paid attention to the sounds that our feet were making in the snow. Um, and then we paid attention. Then we stopped. We were still. And then we noticed sounds close and a little bit further away and a little bit further away. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about how we felt just still in the snow. And one of the classes, it was actually snowing. So we just, you know, put our, our face up to the sky and felt mm-hmm. the snowflakes on our face. And that book also has a beautiful connection with family because it's about a little girl going to visit her grandmother. And so we talk about connection and how does that make us feel, you know, being with a close family member. Yeah. yeah. And then the one other one I'll show you, cause I know we, we should keep moving on. Can you see this one? Red. Yeah. Red. Red sings from treetops. No, I haven't seen red. I'm writing them down. <laughs> okay. Sings from treetops. Yeah. A year in colors and it's, it's poetry. Oh, and I love this one out in the garden with the, with the students, because I might, I'll just read whatever season that we're in mm. and I'll ask for their attention really on the colors and listening for when I bring up a color and what it's associated with in the garden. Oh, wow. And it's, and it's just such a great exercise for um, building attention. That's beautiful. Yeah. Got them all written down here. Yeah. And Hey Little, <laughs> Hey Little Aunt is just a great, great story about empathy. Yeah. Which, you know, we, we all need at all ages. And um, I have used that book from pre-K up to third grade, because even really? the second yeah. and third graders, they, they, it resonates with them and they have a connection. I have gotten some emails from parents after saying that their children will not kill ants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm sorry. You know, you guys have to have a value conversation about whether or not you kill ants. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's yeah. great. No, I just find that the children's books can be such an inspiration and and take you to so many different places. And yes, again, like you so said, many. for all different ages, not necessarily for for our younger. Right. And I mean, you probably use the Lorax, right? In some yeah. of your lessons. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that one is always in, it always surprises me the conversations that, that young students have after, you know, yeah. just about like big, big topics about climate and about the environment yeah. and how do we how do we all come together to take care of one another and take care of the earth? Um, I remember still to this day as a young person, 
in probably elementary school, watching that movie as a discussing it and left a huge impact on me. Working with older children, I know we have some, some folks in our community that are working with older children. I know they would be eager to find out how you're using mindfulness with them. Yeah, absolutely. So some things that we've talked about come into play as far as uh, I do mindful movement. I always try to integrate Mm-hmm. Some movement practices at this age, it's really interesting to talk with the kids about postures. Mm-hmm. What do our postures and our gestures, not only what, what do they say to others, but how do they feel and, and noticing that and yoga poses. And again, always having pauses of noticing, well, what feels good? What doesn't feel good? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how are, you know, how are we going to take care of ourselves then, you know, in, in listening to your body and your mind? Other lessons, we talk we talk a lot about emotions and difficult emotions after having a, a foundation of like, what are emotions? Are they good or bad? You know, no, they're not bad. They're just our amazing body and brain's way of telling us what's going on. And it's, so it's information and we can only use that information if we're mindful of it, right? You know, we have to, we have to be aware that I'm angry right now. Okay, well, what, what's coming up for me? Oh, and what 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 body sensations are associated with that right now? Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's so fascinating hearing kids. Well, when I get angry, I get really hot. When I get angry, wow. my heart is racing, my palms are sweaty. And to share that, not all of us, we don't all react the same to uh, our bodies. Don't respond the same to these different emotions. So that's really a big one. I like doing early on because from that we can go into compassion, Mm, empathy, gratitude, self-compassion. When I start off, we have just a foundation of the basis of mindfulness and and how we use anchors in the practice of mindfulness, right? So the breath is an anchor. It brings our our mind back. I show the kids a picture of puppy dogs and I say, puppies are like curious, energetic, kind of crazy. And that's our brain. You know, our brain is curious. And so it's okay that it goes to the future and back to something that happened this morning in the past and is stuck in a story. That's what it does, but we need these anchors. So we have the breath as an anchor. We have sounds. Yeah. We have imagery. We do imagery practices, looking at different pictures and what noticing what resonates with us, you know, a a busy cityscape versus a still calm mountain. Mm -hmm. So imagery, sound, breath, and and body scan the body sense noticing body sensations what do we feel when we scan our body from our toes all the way up to our head and those different anchors then can you you can just delve off of right each of those you know you can do so much with those anchors and the important part about those anchors too is that if you have any students that have anxiety depression like some tough um, difficult feelings going on Going inward with the breath and with body sensations can be really troubling. Mm. And so I always say this to kids, like we're going through each of them just 60 seconds at a time. And this is where you're just, it's a science experiment for your brain and your body. And just notice, notice what Mm. comes up. And if ever it becomes uncomfortable, you notice that like your chest gets tight or your breathing's uncomfortable. You take your attention outside of your body. You Mm. take it to an image or looking out the window, you take it to sounds around you, but you go outside of your body from those, from those anchors, then you can build the rest of the curriculum using various props and such. Now with the kids to 
I don't have them often. It's not that I'm with them as regularly and as frequently as the younger grades, you know, their schedules are trickier. When I can build off of that and start to delve into like the gratitude practice, Mm -hmm. one that I did, I did this lesson, gratitude of our senses with as young as first graders all the way up to the 12th graders. Wow. And and we used all five senses and they had a pen and paper and, and just wrote down whatever first came to mind. Like, what are you grateful for that you can smell? Mm-hmm. What are you grateful for you can taste? Mm. And then we come then we come back and everyone can share if they want to. And this engages even the quietest. I'm not doing this. Everybody gets involved and everybody starts laughing and smiling and 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 hearing oh my God, they like the smell of a Sharpie. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that's a teenager one. Um, But, but then there's, then there's these connections. So then we built this connection in the class where kids are listening and and chiming in and like, yeah, oh my God, I like that too. I didn't think of that. And, and then we end the practice where we actually are sitting in a still mindful body and they are just, they've chosen one thing on their list that they're grateful for. And that's their anchor. And that's, what they're notice, you know, notice how you feel. Cause we also, I try with the fourth grade and up to integrate a little bit into every lesson about the science, because mm-hmm. they're all curious about the brain. And I, and I say to them, you know, this is, this is really I'm teaching about the brain. When I come in here, I'm teaching about your mind and the power yeah. of it and all that it can do. And so I always have a little slide about like, even with gratitude, well, what neurotransmitters are being released? Like wow. when you guys are all laughing, Mm-hmm. And smiling right now, hearing what someone else is grateful for, those neurotransmitters are being released in your own body. They're all like, wow, oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. The the other one that I want to teach more of in the future is self-compassion. Yeah. Because we need it. Teens, teens were struggling before COVID. Now we know statistically with studies as recent as 2020 that they're really struggling. And I saw it this year too. And the mindful, I certified now to teach mindful self-compassion for teens. Mm. Um, I had to, I had to take mindful self-compassion for myself first two years ago before they would let me get certified. And it was, yeah, it was transformative for me. I personally have suffered, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years with negative, just negative thoughts, self-doubt, the self-critic really strong, a really strong voice in my mind and keeping me from achieving all that I potentially could. And yeah. and yeah. And so when I took that class two years ago, it was remarkable and it's all evidence-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Chris Germer, Dr. Kristen Neff have been studying it for years and, and researching it and developed their program around it. And it really like that negative voice is gone. Like it's, I mean, I practice all the time. So to imagine that if that worked for me, imagine, you know, what teens could gain at their young age of, I'm actually, I don't need to beat myself up to be successful. Mm -hmm. And we don't really teach that in our society. Yeah. We don't say, I didn't start saying, using this language, even as a parent until two years ago, when, when something really traumatic or tough that my kids have gone through. I didn't have the language either to say to them, well, what do you need right now? Yeah. Like you're having a tough time and maybe it's just curling up with the dog or maybe you just need a hug or to listen to some music or go for a run. Let's teach ourselves to be mindful of like what's coming up for us and be curious about it and then let it pass and take care of ourselves. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Just quickly at the end, I know you also do yoga and you also do food, nutrition, and you're also doing a couple of other little things, but yeah. um, <laughs> yeah. so it all weaves beautifully together. It re- you know what? It really does. I mean, the yoga, I've been practicing it on my own for 27 years. And it was during COVID that a sweet garden student, her mom reached out to me and said, you know, would you, I know you're not certified, but would you do mindfulness and yoga with Charlotte over Zoom? And she really needs it just struggling um, in many ways. And so we started getting on Zoom and we were only in the second week and there she was like, she's on my social media account, but she's like, you know, balancing and big blue eyes looking at me on the screen. And she's, Mrs. Scona, are you, you know, you're a yoga teacher. And I said, well, actually I'm, I'm really not, you know, Charlotte, I just need you to know because I'm all about like formality. And I said, I'm, right. really, I'm really not. And she said, well, I think you are. And I think you're amazing. And you know, oh. you should, you should do what you need to do so that you really are a teacher. And that literally was like, you know what, what's stopping me? Okay. I'm going to do this. And again, so natural for me because yoga is a very strong and impactful practice for myself, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and to tie it in with mindfulness with brilliant. the students. It's brilliant. And, and being outdoors. I mean, it's just, and being, oh my gosh, being outside. So it's, we it's love like it. all, yep. it makes me want to go out and get my certification. So yeah, you should, <laughs> you should. I'm so inspired. Yeah. So yeah. this is another thing. This is my weakness, but incorporating mindful eating, which is yeah. um, another beautiful aspect of what you're what you're doing. Yes, I'll take a moment just to share that in 2006, I was really sick with GI problems, and going into all the best doctors in Boston was not helping, and I was just getting worse. And it wasn't until I completely pivoted and followed a friend's advice to go see a functional nutritionist, which in 2016, you you really couldn't find that. Like it was few and far and I had to wait months to get in to see this person. Anyway, she, she cured me and yeah, it, it was what I had going on that was, had completely shut down my GI system could be cured with eliminating certain foods and right. and supplements and digestive enzymes and things that I'm not going to ever hear about at MGH or Brigham. That I mean, this is how far back it goes for me, that it was 2006 and that food really cured what was ailing me. And then I went on to attend an incredible food as medicine conference at Kripala. Oh, um, yeah. At least I think it, that was seven years ago. And uh, Dr. Mark Hyman was one of the speakers and he's just an incredible integrative functional doctor who's out in Lenox Mass. And it was from there that I realized here I am, I'm I'm gardening, I'm growing food for my family, I'm making food. Like if you ask any of my close family and friends, like when they're ill, what do they get from me? They get food, they get juices, they get nut milks. Like that's that's what I, what I give. Like I want to give nourishment and something Mm. that comforts people and heals them. I did through COVID COVID was a busy time for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I did. Yeah. I wasn't sitting around. That's for sure. I I decided I didn't, I didn't want to be a a health coach, but I wanted to, I wanted more uh, knowledge on the functional nutrition. Um, I did go and get my mind, body, green, functional nutrition certificate and really learned a lot and have since integrated it. We'll say that through my mindfulness practice, 
I have figured out that I have always been an emotional eater. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so mindfulness, me having the ability now to pause and have the awareness of Mm -hmm. why am I running to the fridge right now when I just ate lunch an hour ago? Right. Oh, okay. I'm running to the fridge right now because I just had a really uncomfortable call with somebody. Mm. And I want to, I want to numb it. I want to numb those emotions by grabbing something in the fridge. And this was a very big turning point for me because my entire life growing up too, I always had the mom asking me, what do you weigh? And, Mm. you know, just, I mean, it's it's always been In in there. So it just seemed really natural to me that I integrate uh, the nutrition piece with, with mindfulness. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I always, all the grades, I do mindful tastings with them. Usually I will bring in a piece of baby kale, Mm. a piece of pineapple and a gluten-free because everybody, you know, you got to bring that into the classroom, a gluten-free pretzel. Really? So we have bitter, we have sweet and we have salty. Oh, interesting. And they're also very different textures. If you can just imagine the three of them, they're different textures, they're different colors. They are completely different to the experience. Um, And it really is kind of, I I still have kids in town that will come up to me and be like, you got me to eat kale. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because kids look look scared. Even my high schoolers, when they see what I bring out, and I'm like, listen, you don't ever, you don't have to chew this. Yeah. process of us being mindful eaters is that we're going to start without our, our hands and we're just going to look at it with our eyes on the on the oh, paper towel in front that. of us. Yeah. So we're going to start with our eyes and we're just going to look at it because when do we stop and look at what we put in our mouth? Mm. You know, and they all agree. Yep. Don't do that. And then I allow them to pick it up and to feel it in their hand, place it in their palm or between their fingers and just feel it. And they share, you know, what they're feeling. And then I have them bring it up to their nose mm-hmm. and smell it. And then at this point, I say, listen, we're not going to chew it yet. We're just going to put it on our tongue. So those of you that you know don't want to chew it and swallow it, you might still just want to put it on your tongue. Mm. 99% of the time, we got, I mean, even these little kids that are really anxious and you know, put it on their tongue. We're not chewing. We're just feeling it. Just notice what it feels like on your tongue and in your mouth. And it's super hard with the pineapple. The kids are like, it's so juicy. Yeah, I got to chew yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I tell them we're going to chew it now. We're going to chew it at least 10 times. You may not swallow it. And I talk about, you know, what is happening in the chewing process, like that that's the beginning of our di- digestive process. And we are beginning to break the food down and how eating slower benefits the whole system and also allows us to not only taste and experience all the flavors, we also invite them to also feel some gratitude to think right. about how, how, where did this come from? Mm. Who, who grew it? Where was it grown? Where was it, you know, was it processed? Like thinking about the pretzel, was it on a plane or a truck? How long, how many people were involved in getting this to us right now? And how can we send off some gratitude and, and right. feel grateful? So that's the that's an example of, of mindful tasting with the students. That's beautiful. I love it. And that's, that's so applicable to 
so many of us who have raised garden beds or yeah. edible gardens in our out, within our outdoor classrooms. Just additional programs that you're leading. I know you work. Well, the picture you have up is the PEM, the is, PBS, yes, PBS Museum in Salem. Yeah. Well, this I'm, I'm done now, but this past year I had a contract with the Marblehead School District. So that was pre-K to 12th grade. And, you know, really it was just depending on schedules, what I did. Uh, as I said earlier, the pre-K to sixth grade, I was with much more frequently yeah. than seventh through 12. This looks like a fabulous program at the yeah. PBD Essex. Yeah. So this is in their outdoor garden, which is stunning. I haven't, yeah, I haven't spent much yeah. time So I, I led their, I led their education team in a walking meditation around this garden, which has, you know, where you see, you know, the snake curve, it's all flowing water. Here. Oh, this is a beautiful yeah. garden. Um, so there was, you know, everyone was, most people were barefoot mm. and most of them got barefoot so they could feel the warmth on their feet. And they could hear the sound of the water flowing through the sculpture. Beautiful. Yeah. So that was, that was really nice. But otherwise I'm just working, you know, I work with schools. I were, I've done some kind of one-off presentations with, with schools where I come in and in their school assemblies, talk about what wellness uh, means. And I do privates and small groups at my house. And uh, yeah. And this, this That's fall it. I'll be at Brookwood. Did I tell you that? Yes, you did. Yeah, yes. I'm very excited. That's how I I just feel like we're 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 speaking the same language. I feel like it's 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 so exciting how a lot of your mindfulness is can be so incorporated into outdoor classrooms, and I'm excited to see what this community who's watching how they'll take their these golden nuggets that you've shared today and seeing how they show up in other people's outdoor classrooms, which is very exciting. If people wanted to find you, I know that you have a wonderful, beautiful website called Still Waters. Is there any other way that they can find you? Yeah, well, um, so the website stillwatersmindandbody.com and on our links to LinkedIn, my Instagram account is stillwatersmindandbody, uh, as is my Facebook page, although I'm just going to say it. I'm really bad on social media. I don't, (laughs) I don't spend a lot of time on it. Um, just as a parent, I I try to be a really good role model. (laughs) Not that I am all the time. I have a lot of parents and educators that say like, you need to post more. And it's just, it's not my natural go-to, but I, I'm going to try to be a little bit better about that. But yeah, the website has all the contact info. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. So if you like this podcast and you're getting something out of it, if it feels good and you walk away going, ah, the day feels brighter and I want to go outside, then I want you to tell your fellow educators, parents, and friends about it. I want everyone to feel this awesome about getting outdoors and all the possibilities for playful learning with children when you get out there. So if you are talking about outdoor classrooms and you like talking about outdoor classrooms and teaching outdoors and all the different possibilities, subscribe to us and leave a review. We would love to have you. Go to our Outdoor Classrooms Facebook page in our group, our Instagram pages, and tell us what your outdoor classroom challenges are. Want to dig deeper? 
check out our Outdoor Classroom Circle membership community. It's like no other. Tell your fellow educators and let's start a little revolution about outdoor classrooms. When every child in every school has access to an outdoor classroom and learning gardens, then we will have more beauty in this world. Let's get creative and bring more joy into our teaching outdoors. Thank you.